0: Hi, this is Elliot Fishman and welcome to our latest set of vodkas. This is going to be, I hope, a three-parter. If not, it'll be a two-parter. It depends how fast I can talk and what I want to say. But it's going to be on the acute abdomen and we're going to focus on GU applications. And There are many ways of thinking about the acute abdomen. You can think about it left upper quadrant, right upper quadrant, left lower quadrant, right lower quadrant. You can think about it Uh, from different organ systems, and you could think about it from GI and GU and vascular and musculoskeletal. So let's take a look at it from a GU perspective. We're going to look at GU things, which means we're going to talk about the kidneys mainly. We'll also speak about the adrenal, and we'll speak about the bladder. So in terms of acute processes, the most common thing is going to be hematuria. Macroscopic hematuria is a commonly seen condition in the ER setting. There's a range of causes. The biggest thing, of course, is what's the reason for the macroscopic hematuria. We know that about 30% of patients with macroscopic hematuria will have an underlying malignancy. So the question is who has a malignancy and who has something else that may be inflammatory or stone disease. Again, one of the things we know in terms of the acute abdomen uh, patients go to the ER with gross hematuria, but often they don't need to be treated in the ER because once you have gross hematuria, you'll typically do a CT scan and hopefully not find anything or find something, and then the patient will be referred to urology. If you think about numbers, in the older you are, the more critical and the more likely macroscopic hematuria is going to give you a tumor. In men over age 60, the positive predictive value of macroscopic hematuria for malignancy is 22%, and women it's 8%. And it's important to recognize that a single episode of hematuria is equally important as to multiple recurrent episodes. So, you have gross hematuria, you need to be evaluated. But again, it's very important, particularly in the acute abdomen setting, understanding that macroscopic hematuria can be tumors indeed, but it can be stones, and it can be infection, it can be trauma, it can be cystitis, and endometriosis, and recent procedure, and all of those things that are listed there. When you look at the ACR appropriateness, nine's the highest number. CT of the abdomen and pelvis with contrast and without contrast gets a 9 rating. That's the highest rating you can possibly get. In terms of acute processes GU related, we talk about urinary calculi, lifetime risk 12% for men, 6% for women. There are a number of factors that increase your personal risk from urinary tract abnormalities to obesity to metabolic disorders. Stone disease is highest in the summer times due to dehydration and lowest in the uh, um, winter time. Stone disease is higher in warm climates as well. The worldwide prevalence and incidence of stone disease has been increasing with the number of new cases having nearly doubled in the US over the past three decades. Part of that is better imaging. Acute urolithiasis is diagnosed and about 1% of all yearly ambulatory visits in the U.S. So it's not an uncommon thing. It's common in the busy ERs. It's common in the not busy ERs. It's common in the small hospitals, and it's common in the big hospitals. In fact, when Jim Thrall and Associates wrote this article looking at uh, CT in the ER and its certainty level, Uh, you can see that renal colic ended up being the single most common diagnosis. SBO or suspected SBO was number two, but renal colic was far and away the most likely pre-CT diagnosis. Now, in terms of imaging, what should you do with suspected stone disease or patient presenting with flank pain where stone is a consideration? Both the American College of Radiology and the American Urologic Association recommend CT scanning. So there is consistency there, sensitivity CT, high 90s, accuracy 98%. And again, in those situations, non-contrast CT, low dose, works very nicely. A good article by Eisner a couple years ago about urolithiasis. What does a clinician need to know? Well, the presence or absence of stones, obviously. Location of stones, number of stones, stone diameter, and presence of additional findings. Does the patient have polynephritis or an underlying tumor, perhaps? Uh, In this article, not only did the study enable the detection of stones of all sizes, but uh, its area of examination from above the kidneys to below the bladder base it allows you to look for other findings, be it the urinary or extra urinary that cause symptoms. And that's just more or less to make the point that CT for the acute abdomen, you may suspect GU and it may be GI, you may suspect GI and it may be GU, or it may be vascular. So I think one of the big things is the ability to look at multiple organs and look at multiple organ systems in a very timely fashion. Now a couple of things about stones, when will a stone pass? Um, not to quote George Harrison, all things must pass. George was not a urologist or a urologic radiologist. Passage of a stone depends on size and location. Spontaneous passage, 48% for proximal versus 75% for distal calculi and stone size dependency. 76% will pass at four millimeters or two to four and less than 25 at seven to nine. So. You can see that stone passage, location and size, not a great surprise. When there's obstruction, three levels, proximal, mid or distal. Uh, This article by LOTAN, region of interest curves that were constructed revealed that stones over 6.5 millimeters and with attenuation over 1100 were more likely to require intervention, which means they were not gonna pass on their own. So again, size, typically we say six or seven millimeters and now this new thing about density, over 1,100 uh, tends to be a magic number. This article by LOTAN, our results showed that the larger stone size, higher density, and proximal location are associated with selection of interventional procedure over the conservative follow-up. And that is no great surprise there, right? The larger the stone, the more the obstruction, the more people are now willing to wait it out. So that indeed becomes very, very important in terms of managing this specific patient. Now, if I ask you the question, could a stone be missed on CT? The answer is always theoretically yes. You can miss anything. Typically it was described with stones that were on in patients who were on Indivar, but those are really rare patients and that was a rare event also. So. Uh, Most of the time people miss stones is because they're not careful. Thick sections, only looking at the axial views are some of the problems. I find that when you look at coronal views, particularly uh, when you look at MIP imaging, you could pick up stones in the one millimeter range. Now in terms of stone location, so here's a nice stone. Uh, Not every stone causes obstruction, right? Here's a stone in the right ureter. You can see it very nicely. Sometimes you're not certain if a stone is near or in the ureter particularly if you don't see obstruction in a transition point, well then simply doing reconstructions, as in this case, indeed works very nicely. Another example you can see in this patient, dilated right renal pelvis, differential flow right and left kidney, and then as you track down, we you see evidence of a stone nicely shown in the patient's right ureter. And again, the coronal views nicely showing you the hydronephrosis, the differential function right to left. And sometimes you may not see a stone, but you see the ureter. And sometimes you don't see the ureter, but you see the changes in perfusion of the kidney. All of those are important signs and can be helpful. And again, here's just an example on later phase with the stone being in place. One of the things to recognize with stones, sometimes you're not certain. The coronals or sagittals, the recons you can see here very nicely, really make your job very easy knowing specifically where things are. Now, when we talk about hematuria, of course, the number one thing we worry about is tumor. Uh, though only about 40% of patients with renal cell present with hematuria. They present with flank pain, they present with vague abdominal pain. Patients with weight loss or fever, hypercalcemia, have larger tumors. But the smaller tumors are often incidental findings. This article goes back more than a decade, but hasn't changed uh, in most cases. Uh, renal masses are discovered serendipitously as the lesions increase in size or decrease in size the proportion of benign lesions extends more frequently and so one of the things this article by Dyer also makes the point is we're good at picking up masses we're not as good perhaps as classification. Now you look at this mass here it's hypervascular so not only can I tell by the way yes it's involving the patient's left renal vein but also it's neovascular, it's involving the vein, this patient would not be a good candidate for a partial nephrectomy. You can see it very nicely there. Also, by the vascularity, we know it's a clear cell and not a papillary renal cell carcinoma. There's a simple cyst, upper pole, right kidney, nicely defined. You can see the tumor growing into the renal vein with the hypervascularity in the left renal vein. And then we can see on excretory phase imaging, the lesion's not as well seen, but it's still seen. Uh, Very, very classic for renal cell carcinoma in this patient. It's a really nice example. Now we look at big categories, non-neoplastic we think about infection and infection is polynephritis. More common in women, usually due to E. coli infection. In most cases, CT is not necessary and typically CT is reserved for patients where the diagnosis is uncertain or you're looking for complications. Complications are more likely in diabetics, patients who are elderly patients immunosuppressed or have had prior stone disease or other complicating factors. With polynephritis, the most common clinical presentation is chills and fever. Microscopic hematuria is one of the findings, but you don't always see it. Depending how severe the infection is, you can see changes in renal contour, changes in the parenchyma, particularly decreased attenuation, alterations in contrast enhancement, typically meaning decreased, decreased rate of contrast excretion because of obstruction and perinephric abnormalities. And here's an example. Look at the patient's kidneys. There's fullness in the left renal pelvis, there's stranding there. You inject the case. Look at the patchy medullary rays in the left kidney. Uh, that was what was described by Bosniak. Just a very nice description, very nice visualization in axial and coronal, nicely showing you that the patient has polyonephritis. And here's another nice example where you can see the changes not only in the kidney but in the peri- and pararenal space. Uh, I show you the coronals because sometimes it's hard to appreciate perfusion changes in the kidneys on axials. The coronal works very nicely and you can see the coronal in these two examples really nicely showing you the pathology. Here's a good example of a patient working up for FUO, and it was a non-contrast scan. Initially, you can see stranding by the left kidney. You know something's going on in the left kidney. You then give contrast, you see the patchy enhancement. Every once in a while, hard to distinguish pylo from an abscess or theoretically pylo from a tumor. Particularly with stranding around the kidney, it's typically not a problem. Also, the very nice example of delayed enhancement, the mass effect, and you can see here, it looks very mass-like. But focal infection, and you can see here, the triangular shapes best seen on the coronal view. So I would say one of the pitfalls is calling something a tumor when it's pilo or something pilo when it's a tumor. So sometimes you just need to get follow-up studies. But most of the time, the patient's gonna have positive urine, so it's not gonna be quite as difficult a thing. Now, one other thing in the acute abdomen, I think a lot of times people like to do non contrast scans only, it's faster, but you're gonna miss so much. In the kidney, you're gonna miss small tumors, polynephritis, and vascular pathology, but I think you can miss other things as well, and sometimes things are not as well defined. So for example, there's a transplant kidney, patient has fever, everything looks kind of okay, but when you give IV contrast, look at the patchy enhancement in that patient's left kidney. That's polynephritis. You can see very nicely the cortical-medullary interface, but how the edges are really abnormal. You see it nicer on the coronal view. So coronals are particularly good for showing that, and that's going to be polynephritis. It's not going to be a tumor. Or in this case, this is an interesting one. This patient was found down. Uh, the patient had been lost, the patient walked about 12 miles, someone finally found him. So that's very unusual in Maryland, but the question is, this was a CT scan. The kidneys look kind of funny. Well, what happened was the patient was now in renal failure, probably from dehydration, and this is a good example of the kidneys kind of shutting down due to dehydration, and this patient had been hiking. Very nice, at methograms. So again, something indeed very important. Now I mentioned before about renal abscesses and made the point that they can be confused with tumors. It's rare. One of the reasons you do CT in a patient with persistent fever and conditions that should be taken care of would be that you can be confusing masses and abscesses. Renal abscesses are typically low density, cystic wall, thickening of gerotis fascia, often perinephric extension, and usually unilateral. But you can see in this case, which was an abscess, all the things are true. But if I pushed you and said, how do I know it's not a tumor? Well, you say it's a thickened wall, but tumors can have thickened walls. It's exophytic, but tumors can be exophytic. Here it is again on a repeat coronal. Now you can see the excretion of contrast. You see the mass effect. And it's important to really realize that what you're dealing with is a renal abscess that simulated a metastasis. Or this example, again, adenoma, left adrenal. Here's the kidneys. Look at the left kidney. Look at that zone of patchy decreased in attenuation. That looks like a mass or a mass effect. There's no discrete mass there, but what you're dealing with on the excretory phase imaging is infection and you're dealing with polynephritis. So just very good example of polynephritis, which then progress into an abscess. Many people will say that you don't need CT for infection and you get CT when patients don't respond to the patient's uh, uh, therapy, okay? And one of the reasons you do that is because sometimes people uh, will have issues that persist, like for example, if you have some sort of fistula or something to that effect, it can be somewhat challenging. So again, uh, it's important to really think about the possibilities. So what I'll then discuss some of the unusual entities in the kidney, XGP, emphyseminous polynephritis, some very specific but important diagnoses. And we'll take a five-minute break and come back and do that. Thanks a lot. Bye. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.